It's great to be with you on this Easter. And I don't know about you, but last year we were in our pajamas watching online. And I don't know about you, but it is great to be with the church. Amen? To celebrate. Come on. Yeah, that's good. And so, hey, I just want to say thank you for joining us on this celebration. Happy Easter to every single one of you. And something we say pretty regularly at Northridge Church is welcome home. And it, it is our desire that this family feels like home. And so from the moment you walked in the door, whether you're a guest, this is your first time, or you're a regular attender, we want you to feel loved and appreciated and cared for, and we want you to feel like you're at home. And so welcome home to each and every one of you. And we're one church in multiple locations. So let me shout out to those of you online. Maybe you are in your home or you are traveling and you're still tuning in. Welcome to our online campus. Those of you at Webster, man, we love you guys. Welcome to you in Rochester. It is great to, to be in worship with you. And you know, my wife is a, a decorator. She's an interior designer. And one of her favorite places to decorate is actually our home. She loves finding unique pieces that kind of make our home feel special and unique. And, and part of that journey is trying to find things, furniture, big and small pieces, unique and, and have character at the right price. You got to work within a budget. And, and so we often use Facebook Marketplace. And I'm sure many of you have bought or, or sold something online, whether it was Craig li Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. And when my wife and I, we, we use Facebook Marketplace, we really have two goals in mind. Number one, stay alive, right? Like, you just never know, right? You never know when you go see something. And so, number one, we, we want to live through the experience. And number two, we want to find a great deal, right? We want to find that, that unique piece of furniture at a low, low price. And one, in the journey, my wife was looking about six months ago for a, a piece of furniture called an apothecary. If you don't know what an apothecary is, it's kind of a big dresser with lots of little drawers. And so she's always wanted one, but they're extremely expensive, thousands of dollars. And so she's on Facebook Marketplace, and she's perusing through, and she finds one for $200. And so she immediately, you know, clicks that button and you get that question, is, it, is this available? I hate that question, by the way. Like, it's online, it's posted, it's available, okay? And so the lady responds and she's like, actually, it's not, right? I, 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 I want to sell this, but I think I listed it too low and I've been bombarded with responses. In 30 minutes, she see, received about 300 responses, and so she was overwhelmed, and she's like, I just don't want to sell it. And so my wife's like, I get that. Hey, can I just reach out to you within a week and see if you're still selling it? And so a week goes by, and my wife reaches back out, and she's like, hey, um, I see it's still posted. Is it still available? And the woman is even more flustered because all of those 300 people still desperately want it, and some of them are antique dealers putting pressure, calling her names, and they've told her, you need to put it in the front lawn and have an auction, highest bidder takes it all. And so she's flustered, and she's like, listen, I just don't think I'm going to sell it. And so my wife is like, hey, I get that. Can I reach out to you a week from now? So my wife sets an alarm on her phone a week later, and she just reaches out, and she says, hey, listen, I get your stress, and this is overwhelming but here, I want to take all that away. I'll offer you full price, and I'll come get it right now. And so my wife, she agrees, and my wife gets in the truck, and she drives there as fast as she can, and she gets this amazing piece of furniture. I want to show you a picture of it. Check it out. There it is. Pretty cool. 112 drawers. 
And here's what's interesting about this piece of furniture. It goes even deeper. It has some roots to Rochester because this is actually called a patents cabinet. And it was in Kodak and they held their patents inside of those drawers. Pretty amazing. And my wife comes home with this huge piece of furniture and she's a decorator. So she's giddy. She's like, Drew, I got to decorate with this. Like lately we got to get it out. And so we, we lift it out of the truck and we put it in our living room and she does what she does. I get out of her way. And, and you could see this glow, this excitement in my wife. And here's what she says. She says, this scene too good to be true, right? This, this feels just too good. She almost has to pinch herself and says, is this real life? Because I just got this huge piece of furniture for $200 and, and it costs way more than that. And we get this, right? We've experienced something like this in our life. Maybe it was a deal online, a promotion. I mean, Gonzaga thinks that shot was too good to be true last night, right? Where, well, yeah, I know, it's crazy. And, and so we, we, we feel that emotion. We, we register with it, right? Because, you know, we got a promotion at work and we had to pinch ourselves because we, we, we really didn't believe it. It was real. And what's interesting is about when we experience something like that, when we feel that way, something is too good to be true, it often breaks humanity into two categories. Two categories. You see, when you see a deal online and you, you're like, man, this is, this is a, an amazing deal, the first category of people are what I like to call the believers, right? These are the people who see the deal and they're like, this is so good, I got to buy it now. How many of you are my believers? Come on, put your hands in the air. Okay, I am a believer, right? So you are my people. So, like, God loves you a little bit more. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, there's another group of people called the skeptics who, this is what they do. It's a scam. <laughs> Someone's going to rip them off, right? All right, go ahead, raise your hand. How many of you are skeptics? I'm leaving, okay. <laughs> right, it, it breaks us into two groups of people. And here's what's interesting. These two groups of people were found at the very first Easter. And so let me catch you up to where we've been. If you haven't been with us, you're a guest. We've been in this series called All Rise. And man, we teach through series here at Northridge Church, whether it's a book of the Bible or whether it's a topic that we all wrestle through, we teach through series that help make the Bible come alive and, and shape our lives. And we've been in this series called All Rise, and what we're doing is we're looking at the greatest story, what we're celebrating today, Jesus' death and resurrection for us. It's called the gospel, and we've been looking at it through the lens of a court case, a courtroom, and we've been unfolding this story through the characters in the courtroom. So let me catch you up. Week one, it was the prosecutor and the defendant. The prosecutor is our mortal enemy, the devil himself, and he's accusing us in this courtroom of rebellion to God, sin, disobedience. And the problem is this prosecutor has an amazing case. As if he brings it before the judge, he has gobs and gobs of evidence of the very thing he's accusing us of. And so we are the defendants. You and I, this is our courtroom. This is our court case. And we defend ourselves as best as we can. And then week two, we meet the judge. God Almighty. He is the judge, and we had to understand who God is as a judge, that the innocent with God always go free, but the guilty never do. He's a perfect, flawless judge. And so he stood in his courtroom, and he declares his verdict over us that we are guilty. We're guilty of the very thing the enemy accuses us of. And it was this dark and grim first two weeks of this series because we had to deal with the ramifications of our guilt, the sentencing, which was pain in this world, death. We're all going to die in separation from God. 
And we had to sit there. But in week three, this courtroom gets flipped upside down. Just as the case is about to close, an advocate stands up, which is a lawyer who defends somebody. And so what's interesting about this advocate, his name is Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come to argue the case. He's not telling the judge his verdict was wrong. He actually doesn't argue the case, but he steps in and he takes our place. He says to the judge, hey, my life for theirs. I'll take the, the, the guilty verdict on my shoulders and I'll die and, and deal with the death that they had on their shoulders. He takes our place. And because of that, we walk out of the courtroom no longer guilty, but righteous. And that's where we left it off. And you might be asking the question, like, where else is there to go? Right? This court case is finished. It's over. But here's the reality. Every great court case has a response. We'll see it in, in the near future, right? There's a huge, intense court case going on in our society right now with Derek Chauvin, right? And we don't know what's going to happen. We can all pray and hope. We, we don't know. But I promise you this. When that court case is over, there will be a response from individuals, there will be a response from all sides, the media, the people. People will shove their microphones in people's faces, and people will respond to whatever happens in the courtroom. And the same thing is true about the court case that we've been looking at. And here's the question we're going to zoom in today. How will we respond to what happened in our courtroom? How will we respond to the news that Jesus is our advocate, and it starts with that very first category of people? believers, right? For, for many of us today, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus because we've placed our faith and trust that he is alive, that he conquered our sin, and we walk out of this courtroom at the front steps, and we are excited because we're no longer guilty. And what should our, what should our response be to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What is the accurate response? Let me tell you two. The first one is believers. We should tell everyone. We should declare it with our lives and with our lips of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. This is natural to humanity, right? When you experience something good, you go to a good restaurant, you watch a good show, you, you, you go to a good bed and breakfast, right? What do you do? You tell your friends, hey, you got to go to this place. You got to eat at this restaurant. This is natural. And this is what happened on the very first Easter. John chapter 20, Mary is on the way to the tomb. And she's not going to the tomb thinking that Jesus is going to be alive. She's bringing herbs and spices to wrap his dead body so it smells a little bit better. And when she gets to the tomb and she sees it's empty, she's not like, wow, Jesus is alive. She's like, who stole the body? Why would someone take a dead body? But then Jesus shows up to her. And she sees the risen Savior. And look what she does. It says this in verse 18 of John 20. It says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. So what does she do? I've seen Jesus. I got to go tell somebody. This is overwhelming excitement in my life. I've got to spread the news. It says, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And right, our response to what Jesus has accomplished for us is that we would tell the world. That we would go crazy, that we would tell people about what Jesus has done, the greatest thing that has ever happened to our lives. How could we keep it quiet? In fact, if you want to do a study later this week, as you reflect on Easter, read in the Gospels every time Jesus did a miracle in somebody's life, right, where he intervened with someone who was blind and let him see, what was their response? It wasn't like, yo, thanks, Jesus, I'll see you later. No, they, they went into the town and they're like, you got to meet this Jesus. He can change your life. And that should be our response as we walk out of the courtroom. Let me tell you 
Let me tell people about what he's done for us. Second is it should cause us to live differently. We're no longer guilty, so we don't live as criminals anymore. We live as co-heirs with Christ. And if we're a co-heir with Christ, we should look the part. We should act like it. We should bring honor and glory to the one who rescued us. In fact, look at 1 John. We looked at this last week. It, it reveals what Jesus accomplished for us. It says, but if anybody does sin, that's why we're in the courtroom in the first place, right? Because we are sinners, we're guilty. It says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. And so really what this declares is who Jesus is and what he accomplished. He died in our place. He defeated death through his resurrection. That's the good news for all of us who are guilty. But then look at the change. Verse 3, it says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know. So here's the evidence of if you are actually a believer. If you fit into this category, it says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so if you claim the name of Jesus and you believe in the resurrection and your life doesn't really look like Jesus's, you might want to question the Jesus you're following, right? Because as believers, we tell the world of what Jesus has done, but also it changes who we are, changes how we act and how we live. But guess what happens? As we tell the world about Jesus, in comes the second category of people. Because as I tell people about Jesus, guess what I'm going to run into? Skeptics. People who are going to look at me, and here's what they're going to say, Drew, this just feels too good to be true. Right? Like, I, I, listen, I'm glad you found a place to put your hope, but I'm just choosing not to believe in a guy who was dead and now magically came back to life. Right? It just feels a little bit weird and crazy and like, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you found what you need, but for me, logically, that just doesn't line up, right? And we have skeptics in the very first Easter because Mary saw Jesus and some of the disciples saw Jesus, and what do they naturally do? They're telling their friends, and we pick it up again in John 20. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so he hasn't seen Jesus yet. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And so here's this moment where all the disciples who've seen Jesus, they're like, they're like pumped. They're like, yo, yo, Jesus is alive. He's alive. Hey, let me tell you, Thomas, like, hey, Jesus is alive. We've, we've seen him with our own eyes. And so Thomas hears this. Remember, these are best friends. For the last year, they've spent three, for the last three years, they've spent all their time together. And so you would, you would hope you would trust your best friend and what he's telling you. Thomas doesn't. Because he hears them, I've seen the Lord, but look at his response. He says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Guys, I'm glad you think you saw Jesus. But unless my eyes see the evidence, unless I see the scars on his hands and I can put my hands into his side, I, listen, I just can't believe. And this isn't just some ordinary person. This is one of the 12 disciples. 
This is a person who was one of Jesus' best friends. For three years, he saw Jesus teach people. He heard Jesus predict this would happen. He saw Jesus do miracle after miracle, and yet he's still a skeptic. He still has doubts. He's like, I've got to see Jesus for me to truly believe Jesus is real. And I would bet we have some Thomases with us today, whether you're online or in person, right? You maybe show up to Easter and you, you can recite the gospel, right? You can recite the story that Jesus died and rose again. But in your heart, there are pockets of doubt where you're just like, ah, I have a hard time fully believing this. Logically, I just can't see the pattern. People, when they die, they die. And I don't know if I want to put my whole hope and my whole trust in what feels like a fairy tale. What feels like, like something that just makes people feel good. It's just too good to be true. And I get it, right? I do. I get, I get your skepticism. I get your doubt because, man, the last thing you want in your life is to be scammed. The last thing you want in, in your hopes and your dreams is to be duped and believe a lie. Right? Have you ever been scammed and felt that feeling? Right? I remember, if you go back to Christmas in my life, uh, one of my New Year's resolutions was to get a little bit healthier. And part of that journey was is getting on a workout regimen. And so my mom asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And so I was like, hey, mom, I want some adjustable weights so I can do a little more working out. And I mean, obviously, you can tell it's been working. <laughs> I told my wife I wouldn't do that. Sorry, babe. And so I'm, I'm online, and I'm searching for the best price possible. And so I spend this week researching and reading and looking at prices. And so finally, I come to this one set of, of dumbbells, and they're about $150 cheaper than anything that I've found. And I'm like, babe, look, I, I found, look at this deal. This is incredible. I'm going to order this immediately. I'm a believer. And so my wife, the skeptic's like, Drew, it's a scam. Okay, it's a scam. And I'm like, babe, seriously, like, don't bring your skepticism over here. Like, I found a great deal. And when I'm ripped, you don't, you know, you don't touch this, okay? Because you don't believe. I haven't seen the weights yet. And I, I'm blaming COVID, right? Like, maybe the shipping is just four months delayed. But have you ever been there where you believed in something? And then you found out it was false? That feeling is not fun. It hurts. You feel like you've been duped. And that's Thomas in this story. He's like, man, I get your excitement. I'm, I'm glad you're excited, but I just can't get there. I just can't believe until I see Jesus. And I love Jesus' response to him. We pick it up. It says, a week later. So a week has gone by. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And I think right here we see something incredible about Jesus that I want you to know. Is that Jesus is willing to meet you where you are to take you where you need to be. Right? Jesus is willing to, to meet us exactly where we are in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our skepticism. He's willing to meet you there so he can take you where you need to be. And notice with Thomas, when Jesus shows up in the room, he doesn't say, seriously, Thomas? 
Like, you saw me do miracle after miracle. Thomas, I told you I was going to die, and three days later I was going to rise again, and you still don't believe? No, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. And I actually believe people aren't trying to get rid of their doubts. I think they're trying to find peace. And it's interesting that Jesus came to Thomas and he came to you and I to bring us peace. Because sometimes your doubts don't always go away, but that peace that goes beyond all understanding comes. And we see God as a patient God. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your skepticism. In fact, he'll meet you in the middle of it and prove to you that he is alive. And we see it in the scripture. 2 Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. So he's, he's actually quick at being faithful, as some understand, slowness. But then in comparison, he's quick to keep his promises, but instead he is patient with you. Why is he patient with us? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everybody to believe. First Timothy, it says this, but for that reason, so this is the apostle Paul writing, he says, but for that reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners. So the apostle Paul, you think your life is bad? This guy was a murderer. He killed Christians. He had a bad past. And he says, God showed me mercy. Why? So that in Christ, we might, he might display his immense patience as an example for those who would Believe in him and receive eternal life. Can I tell you something today? God is not afraid of your doubts. He'll meet you in the middle of them. And so as we look at the first Easter and as we look at this courtroom, as we walk out, what will our response be to what Jesus accomplished for us? And really, all of us fit in one of these two categories. First, the believers. You're here today and you're celebrating the resurrection because how it's changed your life, how God rescued you from your sins. And you're here today and you would label yourself, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. Here's my question for you. Is does your life validate the truth of the resurrection? For a second, just pause and think about that. Does your life and the way you live and the way you act and the way you do business and the way you go to school validate the truth that Jesus is alive today? Because I believe this. I believe one of the greatest pieces of the evidence that Jesus is alive, that he conquered death, is your and my life declaring it. Saying, look who I was and look who I am now. Only Jesus could accomplish that. Does your life say that? Have you forgotten that part of your responsibility is when you receive the greatest gift of salvation through Jesus is to tell the world? I find it fascinating in my own life that I am quick to recommend a restaurant or a movie before Jesus. Before the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life, I will quick say, hey, have this pudding or eat this pie or go to this place. And yet Jesus changed my life for forever. And oftentimes I go silent about it. My response should be, man, let me tell the world. And I want the world to see my life because I'm different. I'm changed because Jesus is alive. Christ follower, does your life validate the truth of the resurrection. When people haven't experienced what you've experienced, do they recognize it? But maybe you're here today and you relate more to Thomas. 
because you have doubts. If you're honest, Jesus being alive is hard for you. It's not logical. It's hard to believe that the Savior of the world, God Almighty, came from heaven and was born of a virgin. Like, okay, here we go, right? And then he lived a perfect life and he died a criminal's death and then three days later he is alive. That's a lot. That's crazy. And you're like, I just, Drew, I just can't get there. You are Thomas in the first Easter where you're like, I got to see Jesus. And maybe my question for you today is, do you need to overcome your doubt and believe? Right? Notice I didn't say, do you need to ignore your doubt? I didn't say you need to push your doubt aside. I didn't even say you needed to erase your doubt because I believe you can believe and still have questions. But do you need to overcome it, to battle through it? That's what faith is. It's saying, I believe even though I I, I have some questions. And I love what Jesus says. Look what he says at the end of the story. After Thomas puts his faith and trust in Jesus, he believes. Look what it says. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, here's what Jesus is saying to you. In the midst of your doubt, you don't have to see his hands. You don't have to put your hand in his side to believe. Jesus says, blessed are those who overcome their doubt, still have questions, but put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And let me just give you one small piece of evidence that the resurrection is real. Right? John, the author of this gospel, he's writing this, right? The Bible. The very Bible that most of us allow to collect dust, people died for. They recorded it, and over thousands and thousands and thousands of years, somehow, magically, generation after generation, it's not magic, it's God, the Bible is still around. And John tells you why that is. He says, the reason I wrote this stuff is that you, in your doubt, may believe you would overcome your doubt and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. Because the gospel is, it's too good to be true, right? It is. It's it's like that apothecary, that patents cab at my house. It it does feel too good to be true. My wife has to pinch herself every time she looks at it because she can't believe she got it for $200. And the gospel is like that. It feels too good to be true that the God of the universe loves us enough to come down and be murdered for us. Like that doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It is too good to be true. But that doesn't mean it isn't Just because it feels too good to be true, just because it's not logical, doesn't mean that it's not real. And my fear for some of you in the midst of your doubt is that you will find out how real it is and it will be too late. When you stand before Jesus and you recognize how alive he really is, and you will still be in the midst of your doubt. And so today, I want to give you a chance, just like Thomas, to believe. Overcome your questions and your doubt and place your faith in a God who is alive.
So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and maybe that's you today. Where you would honestly admit that you struggle to fully believe because you have questions and you have doubts. And I promise today God will meet you in the middle of those. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I want to, I want to believe. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. All you have to do is with your mouth and with your heart confess this. God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And I can't fix that. But you did. God, through your death in my place, you bore my penalty. And through your resurrection, you gave me the victory. And so God, today, in the midst of my doubts, in the midst of my questions, I'm choosing to believe. To believe in who Jesus is and what he accomplished for me. That he will forgive me, he will lead me, and that he will change my life forever. So God, come into my life. And may I realize how alive you really are. If you said that prayer, I would just encourage you to do something simple, to let somebody know. It can be us. You can go to iwant.info and fill out a form, and we will send you a Bible. We'll love you and walk with you through that journey. You can tell the people who invited you. You can tell your brother, your sister. Man, we just want to know, and we want to celebrate with you. I'll say this to everybody. Happy Easter. Jesus is alive. Let's pray together. God, thank you. And we celebrate the fact that you are alive. And that changes everything. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.